Hi folks, Neil here. We want to help answer all your questions about Paris. That's why you can listen to this episode in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this Paris guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge and you can get any question about Paris answered by real people right here. The best way to visit the Eiffel Tower, how to use the metro, where to find an absolutely beautiful brasserie right now in any neighborhood. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, no AI ever. And for a limited time, it's completely free. The Circa Travel app is available in the App Store right now or at circatravel.com. Welcome to Circa. In this episode, we will be listing a lot of places, stores and sites in the French capital. C'est normal. Paris is the fashion capital of the world, after all. But don't worry. There will be maps, notes and info on the places mentioned in this episode in the Circa app. As well as all the other full guide episodes to this wonderful city. So whether you're a Vogue subscription holder or entirely indifferent to all things fashion, you're in the right place. Pull on your trench coat, fling your scarf over your shoulder, and let's go lick some windows. Oh, that's French slang for window shopping. Faire du lèche vitrine. Let's go strut in Paris. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. The French writer Honoré de Balzac said, the person who does not come off into Paris can never really be elegant. We may be biased, but people do tend to agree. Paris is the fashion capital of the world. What people wear in Paris is important, political even. Maybe it was Queen Marie Antoinette's penchant for luxury and spending sprees that led to her losing her head at the guillotine during the French Revolution. Or at least the bad press she got for it made her pretty unpopular in the run-up. Those tall grey wigs may not be in fashion anymore, but this is still a city where the way things look is incredibly important. A regard for aesthetics is seen as a normal part of life and fashion is not simply a frivolity. It's kind of like a way of showing respect for yourself and for other people around you. For the French, it's not vanity. Well, not only vanity. The word beautiful, beau in masculine form and belle in feminine, is part of everyday conversation. Your dress can be beautiful, or your eyes, but also your evening, une belle soirée, your meal and your life, la vie est belle. It's this fixation with beauty that makes Paris the iconic capital that it is. The city seems to constantly be posing as if it's about to be painted, photographed or filmed at any time. The creation of fashion is seen as an art form, just like all the other variations on creativity the city is known for. Art, cinema and literature. Of course, it's completely woven into these industries too. 
Some of the city's most important social events revolve around fashion. Sure, all the fashion weeks are important, but Paris Fashion Week is still always the last of the big four. New York, London, Milan, Paris, which we think makes it the most important. Designers, editors, and ad execs from around the world still come to Paris to shoot their most high-profile campaigns. We know the sweep of the zinc rooftops and the lofty climb of the Eiffel Tower without even coming here. We've seen them in perfume ads enough times. Maybe you remember the Chanel perfume ad for Coco Mademoiselle with Kira Knightley dressed in a skin-tight cream catsuit riding a motorbike to Place Vendôme. It's the high-end plaza that houses the Ritz, the longtime home of Coco Chanel. But even if the landscapes are familiar, the idea of trying to understand and experience the Paris fashion scene can feel intimidating, overwhelming. What is Paris fashion? What are its rules? Is it best represented by haute couture or effortless French chic? Tailored suits or messy hair and high-waisted jeans? Well, it's a bit of all of those, but also much more. How do you recognize it? And how do you shop for it? It's hard to know where to begin, so I propose we do it this way. First, I'm going to give you an introduction to the main tropes of Paris fashion, a kind of sartorial map, including how to dress like a Parisian. An introduction to types of Paris fashion. Here's your beginner's guide. Number one, bourgeois or bourge for short. This is Paris's version of preppy. It's classic elegance with attention to detail. Keep your eyes peeled for this style when you hit the 8th arrondissement near the Golden Triangle and the 16th arrondissement in the west of the city also known as BCBG, qui bon chic bon genre, which translates as something like good style, high class. For men, it might look like an immaculate and expensive white shirt buttoned up to the top and tucked elegantly into slim cut suit pants that stop just above the ankle. Bare ankles in the summer, expensive socks in the winter, brogues, boat shoes, loafers. And for women, Think about pared-down colors, elegant cuts. This style is about blending in with your fancy peers, definitely not standing out. Forget vibrant manicures and oversized earrings. Trench coats, little Hermes scarves and expensive fabrics like cashmere, silk and lamb's wool finished off with a string of pearls. Number two, le bourgeois bohème, ou bobo. These self-conscious scenesters tend to come from comfortable backgrounds, hence the word bourgeois, but they don't want you to know it, at least not totally. They are also bohemians, arty, but not too much, climate-conscious, casual, and yet always elegant. The best translation in English would be hipsters, or perhaps, more unkindly, champagne socialists. A male bobo may have a beard of messy stubble. In winter, you will see him sport a beanie hat. In summer, a fisherman's cap. 
He likes sneakers but favors ethical brands like Veja. He may have tattoos, either subtle line drawings or more classic vintage designs, worn ironically, of course. He only eats organic vegetables, but he smokes Marlboro Reds. The feminine bobo look is less formal and tailored than that of her bourgeois sister. Think vintage Levi's jeans, organic cotton t-shirts, a messy but expensive haircut, and maybe even a vintage racing bike locked up out front. Stores that epitomize this look could be from the vintage-influenced Rouge in the buzzy second arrondissement. This place was founded by Parisian fashion influencer Jeanne Damas. You could also try the laid-back chic of Sandro. We'll link you to the stores and their locations in the show notes. Also, the offspring of said bobos, often to be spotted riding their wooden scooters tricycles around their local park or square, tend to be just as trendily dressed as their parents. Number three, the artist and the bohemian. The bohemian life. It no longer means anything at all. So sang legendary French singer Charles Aznavour in his hit La Bohème, which laments the artistic Paris of days gone by. But I beg to differ. There are still plenty of artists, marginals, and alternative types to find. The French government accords a special professional and fiscal status to professional artists, giving them tax breaks, health benefits, and sometimes subsidizing their accommodation in special artist housing. You will find plenty of arty types living in the east of the city in the Belleville-Ménilmontant neighborhood. You'll recognize them for their eclectic fashion, often put together with inexpensive pieces, a blend of different eras and styles. The price tag may be modest, but the appeal of the cash-strapped artist look is that they can be the most beautiful and interesting outfits around. Here are some of my favorite spots for secondhand steals where you can snag a bargain in this style. Emmaüs is a national charity founded by the famous Catholic priest called L'Abbé Pierre in 1949. The organization helps people experiencing poverty and homelessness. They run plenty of solidarity boutiques in and around Paris where you can buy secondhand clothes, trinkets and homewares. The biggest and my favorite is Emmaüs des Filles on the Rue de Riquet in the north of the city. This huge warehouse has a section for just about any kind of secondhand treasures you can imagine. Here you can find gorgeous mid-century cabinets and engraved coffee tables for knockdown prices of around 10 to 50 euros. You'll find cutlery, crockery, and ornaments. At the back of the hall, you'll find rails of clothing from vintage designers to sport sweats and snow boots. There's also a decent book and music section. The idea is to go section by section. You take your finds to the desk in that section, collect a ticket, then take all of your tickets to the cashier to pay at the end. I also love Guérisol, a family-run chain of thrift stores with a bunch of locations in the north of the city near Montmartre. Prices are really low, starting at one euro for scarves and accessories, and if you are a skilled rummager, you can find some amazing gems. There are four of them all dotted together on Avenue de Clichy in the north of the city, including one just for men and one with heaps of sportswear and sneakers. We'll put all the details in the show notes.
Number four, Gen Z style, streetwear and mixing up the rules. In general, the Paris fashion scene can be quite homogenous. Arty areas notwithstanding, historically we do not have the wild, anything goes aesthetic of New York or London. But that is changing slowly. The teenagers and young adults of Paris are generally more liberal with their fashion than their older counterparts, thanks to growing up online, where they've had access to influences from around the world. In particular, American pop culture. This younger generation of Parisians tend to have a more diverse and complex cultural heritage than those that came before them. In France, it is illegal for the government to collect statistics on race and ethnicity, so we cannot say for sure, but the stats we do have suggest that at least 40% of children who live in Paris have one parent who is a first-generation immigrant. Whether the parent in question is from Washington, D.C. or Dakar, this generation of kids sees themselves in the world a little differently than the era that came before. So the style they choose to represent themselves with is therefore a little different too. In general, Gen Z have embraced a style that is less formal and more eclectic than the Bourges and the Bobos. The kids of today have been influenced by internet culture and designers and celebrities coming from across the Atlantic. Such as the late Virgil Abloh, the designer and artistic director for Louis Vuitton and celebrities such as Rihanna, who is a regular fixture at Paris Fashion Week. If you want to fit in with the locals, my number one tip is do not wear a beret. In general, these are worn only by the older generation and tourists. Increasingly, however, Everyone here is starting to see that influence from the outside world on Paris fashion is just fine. Honestly, even if you've been living in Paris for years, people just seem to know you're not truly French, so don't worry about it. And don't waste time on the fashion cliches pretending to be. Some of the biggest fashion icons in the history of Paris have been loved precisely because they are different. Think Jane Birkin, so famous that the iconic Hermes bag is named after her, or Josephine Baker, who took Paris by storm in the 1920s with a style, aesthetic and attitude that became one of the most imitated of her time. Also, I am going to let you into a secret as to why French people look so good. It's as much structural as it is sartorial. Put bluntly, it is easier to look well-rested and très chic when you are working a 35-hour week and you have five weeks of statutory paid time off per year. It is easier to be healthy and stay in shape when your freshly cooked lunch is subsidized by the government and when you have easy and affordable access to fresh fruits and vegetables and free healthcare. Here, it's fashionable to look good from the inside out, and the city gives you many a helping hand. A structural social system is a bit tricky to emulate, but we do have one easy-peasy hack for you. The French have some of the best skincare in the world thanks to their magical, ubiquitous pharmacies. You can spot them easily by their neon green crosses on storefronts all over the city. 
I recommend the legendary City Pharma in Saint-Germain on the left bank. This is heaven for skincare enthusiasts, and you will find some great products here for prices below what you will pay elsewhere, especially outside of France. If you're looking for suggestions, we'll pop some of our favorites in the show notes. Avenue Montaigne, Louis XIV and Bling à la Parisienne. There is one man who could perhaps claim responsibility for first putting Paris on the fashion map. The most famous and bling-bling king of the ancient regime, Louis XIV, or Louis XIV, also known as Le Roi Soleil or Sun King. Louis built the Palace of Versailles just outside of Paris and moved the whole royal court out there in the late 1600s, where their lives literally revolved around him like the sun. Each morning, members of the French nobility would fight to be the one who got the great privilege of watching the sunrise in the morning and, if they were lucky, maybe even help him get dressed. In the king's official portrait, painted in 1701 by Catalan Baroque painter Hyacinth Rigaud, we see Louis looking spectacularly flamboyant. The monarch is draped in silks, wearing white stockings and a slinky kitten heel, as well as a fabulous wig of luscious grey curls, and his striking look is not accidental. Louis XIV, narcissist, sword fighter, ballet dancer, trendsetter. The Sun King technically became monarch at the tender age of four, though he did rule with the help of a designated adult for a while. When he reached maturity, his status was rapidly upgraded to absolute monarch. That is to say, my word goes. At the age of 14, he famously said, l'état c'est moi, or I am the state. He reigned for 72 years. That's a long time, longer in fact than any other monarch in the world to date. Although at the time of writing, that record looks to be challenged by Elizabeth II. In any event, he had time to get a lot done. Along with his chief minister, Cardinal Mazarin, he centralized French administration and culture in Paris and Versailles. The power of France was tied up with his personal power. This is a man who knew about PR. He knew the importance of image, and he leveraged his image to influence culture in France and beyond. His virility was showcased through war-making and hunting, but also through his artistic accomplishment, notably his talent as a classical ballet dancer. Throughout his life, he performed in 40 major ballets and even had a special outdoor theater, clad in Italian marble, made for his performance in the gardens of Versailles. You can still see this, by the way, if you visit the chateau. It's called Bosquet de la Salle de Bal, or the Ballroom Grove. You can even pull on your wig and stockings and go for a dance yourself. Once a year in June, the Chateau de Versailles hosts the Grand Bal Masqué, a fabulous recreation of the 18th century court mask ball, where guests are invited to come in full costume. We'll share all of the deets in the show notes. The ball is in June and you'll want to grab your tickets a couple of months before. 
Specialized costume stores rent out traditional garb, which is a requirement for entry. It's a royally fun night. The Sun King had an aggressive approach to foreign policy, and under his rule, France became the leading military power in Europe. But he also had an aggressive approach to soft power. He didn't just want France to dominate politically, he wanted French culture to shine throughout Europe and the world, just like the sun. He invested a fortune in French art, poetry, architecture, fashion and clothing, while quite a lot of his subjects were living in abject poverty. Jean-Baptiste Colbert, Louis XIV's Minister of Finance, declared, fashion is to France what the gold mines of Peru are to Spain. Today, the Colbert Foundation, promoting French luxury and savoir-faire, still exists in his name. The mission was clear. France would make its money and reputation from fashion. And this is kind of still true today. 300 years later, you've landed in the home of the world's most famous and glamorous brands, from Dior to Balmain, Gautier to Chanel, Designers that have followed a tradition of influencing image around the world, who have dressed kings and world leaders, and those for whom image was paramount. A huge majority of these brands fall under one of two giant conglomerates. Louis Vuitton Mouet NC, or LVMH, owned by billionaire Bernard Arnault, and its rival, Kering, founded by another billionaire, François Pinault. Each of these men have their own art museum. Arnaud's Louis Vuitton Foundation on the edge of the Bois de Boulogne Park in western Paris, and Pinot's collection at Bourse du Commerce in the center of town in the Al district. Both of these are fantastic to visit for art lovers. At the LV Foundation, you will find some fabulously curated exhibits of 20th century art. And at the Bourse du Commerce, an exciting collection of contemporary painting and sculpture and great photography from the last 100 years. Tickets are under $20. Book ahead to avoid waiting in line. Back in the 17th century, the Grand Chateau of Versailles served as a kind of showroom for the latest fashions, promoting the idea that products made in France were the envy of the world. Do you like these crystal chandeliers? They're French-made. Buy some. Adore this exquisite armchair? Fabulous. Also French-made. In love with the bodices worn by the ladies here at Versailles? Oh, look at that. Also French-made. Here's the supplier. And there are parts of Paris that are still essentially giant shop windows showing off French know-how, or savoir-faire as they like to call it. Whether you're ready to splash cash like a pre-revolutionary monarch, or you just want to enjoy the show, it's well worth taking a promenade along Avenue Montaigne. Tourists often hit the Champs-Élysées, but this admittedly beautiful street is generally avoided by Parisians themselves. It's considered too busy, too built up, and too well touristy. For pure over-the-top glamour that gets the Parisian stamp of approval, I prefer Avenue Montaigne, with its glittering shop fronts and elegant, symmetrical look. 
The area it encloses is known as the Golden Triangle for its wild concentration of ultra-luxe stores, hotels and restaurants. At number 30, you will find the grand three-story mansion house that was the original flagship of French couturier Christian Dior. In 2022, the flagship reopened after renovations, transforming what was already the most successful Dior branch in the world into a kind of immersive, ultra-luxe playground. Inside, if you're dressed well enough, you will find a fashion gallery and the Monsieur Dior restaurant from celebrity chef Jean Humbert. You needn't splash out on actual fashion threads to enjoy an indulgent meal here, but you will need a reservation. Dior was known for defining the post-World War II style, not only in France, but across the globe, with his new look characterized by nipped-in waistlines and graceful billowing skirts falling halfway down the calf. The elegant and shapely style was a breath of fresh air after the austerity of wartime clothing. His designs put Paris right back at the center of the fashion map after the war, influencing the look of the teenager that developed in the 1950s in the USA. Think James Dean and Natalie Wood in Rebel Without a Cause. Dior's trainee, a young, charismatic prodigy by the name of Yves Saint Laurent, would go on to define and shape world fashion in the next decades with iconic outfits like the convention-breaking smoking suit for women and his iconic Mondrian shift dress emblazoned with modern art. Saint Laurent was one of the first designers to understand the importance of branding and advertising and bringing more accessible products like perfume to the mass market. From Avenue Montaigne, you can turn by the Seine River onto the neighboring Avenue Marceau to visit the Musée Yves Saint Laurent. On your way, you will get a fabulous view of the Eiffel Tower across the water. The museum is set in the designer's former couture house, and inside, you will find some of his gorgeous and glamorous designs. You can even see the studio where he spent hours drawing, pinning, and creating with his little French bulldog, Music, biting at the model's heels. The Golden Triangle is also home to one of Paris's 11 Palace Hotels, or ultra-luxury five-star addresses, the Plaza Athene, a favorite with celebrities and models during Fashion Week. Sex and the City fans might recognize the facade with its stunning display of iron-clad balconies and red carnations from Carrie Bradshaw's ill-fated time in Paris at the end of the final season. It is said that the red carnations are a tribute to the red blooms offered by French movie star Jean Gabin to his lover, Golden Age screen siren Marlène Dietrich, who lived in this hotel for some time. How romantique. The rooms here are pretty steep for most mere mortals, starting at a thousand bucks per night, all the way up to 20k for the most extravagant penthouse suite. The restaurants, however, are more accessible, for a special treat at least. Book ahead for an upscale meal in one of Yves Saint Laurent's favorite restaurants, Le Relais. Savor the revisited French classics on the menu while admiring a stunning period Art Deco mural. 
For fashionistas on a budget, I really love Le Palais Galliera. The fashion museum of the city of Paris. You can't take anything home with you, but you'll be able to immerse yourself in the work of France's most exclusive designers. It's a 10-minute stroll west towards the Trocadero from Avenue Montaigne, and the building itself is a sight to behold with its Renaissance-style finish. Bonus, entry is free with a Paris Museum pass. How are you feeling? Génial! Now we're heading east along Rue de la Boétie to discover the second of our three fashion streets. Hi everyone, Circa is recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Boulevard Haussmann and Democratizing Fashion. Now, a touch more history, if you will indulge me. While Louis XIV was strutting around Versailles like a gloriously decorated peacock, the average Joe in pre-revolutionary France was wearing much more modest garb. France was the capital of fashion, but the trendsetters were limited more or less to the lords and ladies at the royal court at Versailles. Versailles fashion reached its peak in the second half of the 1700s, with Marie Antoinette aided by her stylist and dressmaker, nicknamed the Minister of Fashion, Rose Bertin. Bertin came from modest beginnings to reach the very apex of French upper-crust society, thanks to her ready charm and skill with the needle. In fact, from then till now, couture has been a route for social climbing, Legendary designer Coco Chanel is a good example. She came from obscure beginnings in a rural orphanage and later could be found living in the Ritz. After Versailles was brought down during the French Revolution, liberty of dress was one of the freedoms claimed by the revolutionaries. In the wake of the 1789 uprising, French society went into freefall and so did fashion. The sans-culottes, or without trousers, brigade was the name given to the working-class folks in 18th-century France. Culottes were the silk knee-length breeches worn by the aristocracy as opposed to the loose ankle-length pantaloons worn by working folk. And the designation was originally meant as a slur, but in the wake of the uprising, many revolutionaries reappropriated the name and reclaimed their practical clothing style as a badge of honor. 
While the Enlightenment ideals that underpin the revolution were written down by bourgeois intellectuals, the pantaloon-wearing working folk were the foot soldiers driving it all. They became a force to be reckoned with, often responsible for violence and intimidation during the bloody three-year period known as the Reign of Terror. Their more relaxed clothes, the baggy trousers and scarves with the tight ends hanging loosely down, went from being looked down upon to being desirable. And even officials from middle or upper class backgrounds adopted their dress for some 18th century street cred. In some senses, this is still true today. Think of the bobo bourgeois bohemians that we mentioned earlier, doing their best to appear countercultural despite benefiting from many of society's privileges. In most circles in France, it is still seen as vulgar to overtly flaunt wealth and possessions. A classy designer handbag, absolutely. A huge designer name on your sweater or belt, usually not the done thing. The wigs that high-class women wore before the revolution were banned. When Maximilien de Robespierre, the ringleader of the Reign of Terror, was himself executed at the guillotine, there was a counter-trend for the Bal de la Victime, or Victim's Ball, with a guest list reserved for only those who had a close family member executed by guillotine. Women would wear a white dress resembling a prisoner's shirt, known as a despair dress, and style their hair in coiffure à la victime, all pulled up to the top of the head to resemble the close crop of female prisoners of the revolution. There was even a symbolic head nod that emulated a head falling forward during decapitation. It was at this time that Marianne entered the scene. She only needs one name, like Madonna. This woman is the allegorical symbol of liberty in France. She is usually wearing a Greek tunique. You can see her in the Louvre, immortalized by famous French artist Eugène Delacroix in a painting called Liberty Leading the People. You'll see her depicted in town halls and law courts and in Paris on two of the main squares of the right bank, in a bronze sculpture on Place de la Nation and another statue on the Place de la République. That's the one where protesters, like the Gilets Jaunes, gather on Saturdays. Not many people know that the Statue of Liberty was actually based on Marianne and was given to the US as a present from France. Gustave Eiffel designed the interior structure and the gift marked the links between American and French revolutionaries. All in all, the French Revolution began the process of democratizing fashion. Slowly, the idea of self-expression through the personal spread from the elite outward. As society entered the age of industrialism in the 19th century, the globalization of fashion allowed these ideas to stretch even further. Fashion became something that people at all levels of society used to express themselves. Paris became home not only to the most elite couture, but also to a thriving industry that catered to the people who didn't have handmaidens. I also want to show you where everyday Parisians go shopping on a regular basis. Where the dish is a bit more accessible. 
I am talking about Boulevard Haussmann, the vast thoroughfare that runs from behind the Palais Garnier Opera House to Saint-Lazare Station. We're in the buzzy and built-up 9th arrondissement. As well as a bunch of international brands, this street is also home to not one, but two of Paris's sumptuous grand magasins, or great department stores. This wide street was created under the second empire of Napoleon III, Napoleon Bonaparte's nephew. It was built as part of the modernization of the city, a task entrusted to a statesman by the name of Superintendent Baron Haussmann. The huge and sweeping renovations took place in the 1860s and 70s and entirely transformed the face of Paris. This is the guy we have to thank for the uniform facades of Paris's sandstone apartment buildings with their elegant wrought iron balconies and zinc rooftops. He knocked down almost all of the preceding medieval city and imposed order with his huge avenues and boulevards, partly designed to make it harder for pesky revolutionaries to block the roads. What followed was a new modern city, ready to do business, and getting wealthier by the day. Thanks to resources from France's new imperial conquest in Africa and Southeast Asia. The Printemps department store is located across a whole city block on Boulevard Haussmann, where it intersects with Rue du Havre. You can't miss it with its gilded domes linked by grand iron bridges. It was the city's second department store after the splendid Bon Marché on the left bank and certainly the world's most high-tech. It was originally founded in 1865 by Jules Jalouseau and Jean-Afrel Duclos. After a fire in 1881, it had to be rebuilt and Printemps reopened with some supermodern elevators. It became the very first store in the world to use electric lighting in 1888, just three short years after Edison invented his light bulb. This was such an event that customers were invited to observe the workings of the electric system on display behind a glass wall. When the underground subway, the Metro, opened at the turn of the century, the store was suddenly even more accessible. With its Art Nouveau domes, it may seem a world away from the frenzy of a Black Friday, but Printemps in Paris is in fact the birthplace of the sale. Why not sell your unsold stock for a set period at cut-down prices? This was Paris's golden age, known in French as La Belle Époque, or Beautiful Era, from the end of the Franco-Prussian War in 1870 to the start of the First World War in 1914. At this time, the city shone as a world capital of art and fashion. It was the height of modernity. Printemps means spring in French. On the façade, you'll see figures representing the four seasons. When the store opened, the front door was adorned with bouquets of violets in spring. Today, Printemps still hosts a spring festival every year in March to welcome in the turn of the season with free concerts, workshops, embroidery, upcycling and food stands from cool Paris eateries. Take the escalator up to the section on the seventh floor, known as the seventh heaven, 
Here you will see one of the building's two stunning cupolas, whose structure was designed by Mr. Gustave Hiffel himself. He would later design a pretty famous tower that bears his name. Here you'll find a dazzling selection of vintage fashion pieces, and you can even sell your own vintage collector pieces to the merchandising team. One floor up, you will find the Printemps du Goût dining area, offering all manner of delicious French foods via a mix of more casual cafés and formal restaurants, which you can enjoy on an incredible terrace with Eiffel Tower views. If you are visiting in the festive season, you have to spend some time marveling at the Christmas window displays. These go up around the end of November until the end of the year. For 50 years, the same family of craftspeople have been making the wooden puppets that star in the charming and playful displays. They begin work in June and need a team of around 100 people to meticulously install them, making sure that each string creates the right movement. Christmas window displays in Paris department stores rival those of any city in the world. These artisans may not be making clothes, but trust me, these are the most fashionable puppets you've ever seen. If you're in Paris for Christmas, you will want time to stroll Boulevard Haussmann and take in all the beautiful windows from just behind the Palais Garnier Opera House, past Printemps and Galerie Lafayette. Galerie Lafayette is perhaps Paris's most iconic department store. The stunning Neo-Byzantine dome is the crowning glory of this opulent Art Nouveau beauty. It was created by master glassmaker Jacques Grubert and designed to let the Paris sunshine on the different levels of golden balconies that make up the stunning design, kind of like a giant bling wedding cake. Under the atrium on the ground floor, you will find the vast and world-famous beauty and makeup section. At the Labo stand, you can douse yourself in perfume à la Parisienne. This ultra-hip Franco-American perfume maker uses fine ingredients to create rich and memorable scents. Perhaps the most iconic is Santal 33. The numbers designate the amount of ingredients inside. You can personalize each bottle as the label is printed just for you. I always stop at the diptyque booth and try to restrain myself from splashing out on one of their beautiful looking and smelling Parisian candles. At 70 to 100 dollars for one regular size candle, this is 100% a frivolous purchase, but it always makes a wonderful and elegant gift. The galleries were designed by some of Paris's most talented Art Nouveau artists at the beginning of the 20th century. It was intended to be an opulent showcase, a luxury bazaar. The light filtering through its golden dome, illuminating fabulous treasures everywhere you turned. The grand staircase is an homage to the Paris Opera House just down the street. And so after shopping, you should visit the Grand Palais Garnier Opera House. You can take a tour inside to see the marble-sweeping staircase and amazing ceiling painting by Czech-French artist Marc Chagall, 
Or, of course, you could indulge in opera or ballet tickets, especially if you've just bought something glamorous to wear and need somewhere to show it off. We'll link you in the show notes. After all that fun, rest your weary shopping feet amid the century-old wood clan room at Harry's Bar. This legendary Franco-American cocktail bar, where expert mixologists dressed in crisp white jackets, is a hidden gem in this busy district tucked away on Rue Donou. They like to say that they invented the Bloody Mary. I'm not totally sure that's true, but I can tell you, their version is bloody good. Behind the scenes and off the beaten path creators. And now, for something a little different. We're going to discover some of the substance behind the style. This is our chance to peer behind the shiny, showy facade of Paris fashion and see some of the craftsmanship that goes into garment making. Etienne Marcel. Etienne Marcel. For years, the Sentier area, nestled right between Boulevard Haussmann and the Seine River, was Paris's bustling, busy and multicultural garment district. You can get here by taking the Line 4 metro to Etienne Marcel. During Paris's Belle Époque, this little hood, characterized by cheerful cobble streets, was known for its textile wholesalers, distributors, tailors and stores. Wages for les petites mains, or the small hands, who made the high-end clothes were often low and working conditions were cramped and uncomfortable. Many new immigrants to Paris would join the industry, including many Eastern European Jews who came to Paris fleeing persecution at the turn of the 20th century. A large number made their home in the nearby Marais district. Check out our Paris Start Here episode to learn more about Paris's highly diverse micro-communities. These days, the Sentier district is home to a different kind of industry. Its proximity to the financial district in the city centre and early adoption of high-speed internet made it a hub for tech startups. Today, the much gentrified area is nicknamed the Silicon Sentier, after California's Silicon Valley. Get a feel for the vibe along Rue Bachaumont, where you can grab a drink at the hotel that takes the same name as the road. Nearby, we'll find some cool closed boutiques like Kiliwatch, a huge warehouse-like space selling small designers and artfully selected vintage pieces. This is not where we will end our style odyssey, however. Instead, we are shooting north, heading to a quartier that is very dear to my heart and where one woman is showing visitors a new approach to fashion. One that doesn't hide the people who make the clothes but celebrates them and lives side by side with them. Let's go to La Goutte d'Or. La Goutte d'Or, or Drop of Gold area, is a traditionally working-class neighborhood that forms its own little village to the east of the hill of Montmartre. Barbès Rochechouart and Château Rouge. This densely populated patch was the setting of L'Assommoir, the 1877 novel by legendary French author Émile Zola, 
chronicling the lives of the ordinary people of Paris. In fact, this district has been attracting attention for a while now, though not always for the right reasons. It was this area that got labelled a no-go zone by some international commentators following the terrorist attacks that took place here in 2015. But instead of telling you it's a no-go, I'm actually suggesting that you venture out and go, go, go to this neighbourhood. It's not a fancy or wealthy area, but it is much less busy and built up than the more famous areas at the centre of town and would have fewer pickpockets. Still, let's quickly go through a few basics of Paris safety tips to put your mind at ease. The French capital is a generally safe place, but as in most big cities, it's important to adopt a few common sense behaviours. Keep your valuables zipped away in a pouch or bag and in busy or tourist areas, be sure to keep that bag in front of you and close to your body. And if someone comes up to you asking to sign a random petition, making a friendship bracelet, watching a magic trick with cups or ordering a taxi outside a designated taxi base, say a polite but firm non merci and keep on your way. Now, back to the fun stuff. This area is great, not only for its cultural diversity and interesting history, but because of its full-on fabulous fashion credentials. It's an example of how Paris fashion culture is not confined to the couture windows and luxury department stores. And you'll find it in all corners of the city. Fashion runs deep in our veins, no matter how we got here. Since the 19th century, the Goutte d'Or neighborhood has been a place where new immigrants came to settle. It started with French from other places in France, then Italians and Spanish, European Jews, North Africans, and most recently, French-speaking Sub-Saharan Africans from former French colonies such as Mali and Senegal. Jacqueline Ngoempi founded the Little Africa Tour Company and creative agency here in the heart of the Goutte d'Or in 2016 as a counterpoint to the rather absurd no-go comments. The company's HQ is Little Africa Village, a cultural space in the heart of the neighborhood. Here you can get your hands on the Little Africa Guide to Paris, available in English or French, or book a theme tour with Jacqueline. On this African fashion and history tour, you get a full tour of the neighborhood, including lunch in the Courtyard Café of the Institute of Islamic Culture. At number 40B, Rue Mira, you will find Maison Château Rouge. This local institution, started by Yusuf Fofona, describes itself as a pop and lifestyle brand which celebrates the area of the same name in the 18th arrondissement of Paris. Inspired by an African heritage, the brand symbolizes the meeting between many cultures. The shop window is sparsely designed with just the name of the brand in simple graphic font, but the inside is a chic but cheerful explosion of colors and prints, many made from traditional African wax fabric, bought from local merchants in the Goutte d'Or. 
The founder, Fofana, whose parents are from Senegal, was born in Saint-Saint-Denis, a northern suburb of Paris where a lot of new immigrants came in the 1960s, often living in high-rise social housing blocks known as HLM. It's kind of like the projects for the US or council estates in the UK. He started making a few t-shirts, then a few more. Within a year, the brand was making waves on the parish fashion scene with its simple cut tops featuring eye-catching prints, like the sold-out Young Cut, showing a young man from behind with the words Maison Chateau Rouge shaved into his fade. He sold the designs at Merci, an ultra-hip concept store over on the east side of town. We'll link you to all these in the notes in the Circa app. Next came a collaboration with Nike, an international fame. In fact, President Emmanuel Macron asked Fofana to accompany him as a special envoy on his first presidential tour in Africa in 2017. A couple of doors down from Maison Chateau Rouge, you'll find the small but perfectly formed boutique Peul Vagabond. Be coaxed inside by the founder and designer, the charming Diana Dior, a Parisian of Senegalese origin. With her cute dresses and slick tops and bottoms for men and women, she showcases traditional African weaving techniques, working with cooperatives of fabric weavers in Burkina Faso. Her outfits have been worn not once, but twice by Beyoncé, putting the so-called no-go zone firmly on the map. Thank you for joining me for this catwalk strut around the boulevards of Paris, from Louis de Bourbon to Beyoncé Knowles. We've seen how this city has been setting the bar and the agenda for fashion for hundreds of years, and it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. I hope I've convinced you that fashion here isn't just a question of five-star restaurants and sky-high prices. It's about high standards, appreciation of beautiful things, and self-respect. Fashion doesn't just mean couture, it means caring about creating something beautiful that has deep meaning or unfailing relatability. When you can achieve that by creating clothing, you're giving anyone the chance to use that art form for self-expression. That's what Paris fashion does so well, no matter the neighborhood. Whatever your purse strings allow, Paris won't disappoint. Thanks for listening to our Paris fashion episode. Now that you know how to dress and shop like a Parisian, remember to check out the other Paris episodes in this guide for deeper dives into the city art scene, the history of French food, and more. Whether you're heading to Paris right now, sometime in the near future, or would just like to learn all about a place we truly love, you'll get instant access to the full guide plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. Find us on Apple Podcasts Spotify, or download the Circa app, where you can also get pictures and maps and notes on everything in this episode and more. Maybe you'll want to sample our guides for Rome, London, New York, LA, and many, many more. Circa, 
Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.